James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace? Therefore He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. They called James a book of practical instruction. I have to say that this passage that we read today sounds more like an encouragement, an exhortation, and a correction. I want to ask you a question. I hope you're ready for it. When is the last time that you got down on your knees or fell on your face before God and repented asking for mercy and forgiveness? Do you know the last time you did that? And how often do you think you should? I know some spiritual giants who do this daily. They don't want to leave any stone unturned. They don't want themselves to be high and mighty in their feelings and thoughts toward God, but rather they get down before God on their face and say, God, have mercy on me. You ever wonder why that some people don't do that? Pride. That's the only thing that keeps us from being on our knees before God is pride. Or arthritis, yeah. But repenting before God requires no physical malady to prevent it. Just the willing spirit. So I'm going to ask you today, how is your walk with Jesus? We had a Real Church Wednesday where we were asking questions for accountability. And uh, I won't say who said this, but I asked, how close do you feel to God on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 not being so close, and 10 being very, very close? And one person said it's a 1. A little later, we asked this question. How often do you pray this week? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 not at all, and 10 being couldn't pray more. Pray without ceasing, as Apostle Paul says. And the same person said it was a 1. Of course, there's a correlation to how much we pray and how close we feel to God. But there's also a correlation to how much we pray and how much power God works in our lives. 
There is also a correlation to how much we pray and how much God is transforming us. Why? Because God alone has the authority and permission and power to transform our lives. He's the only one who can make the corrections. He's the only one that knows what needs done. This week, have you been living in service and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or have other things distracted you? You might ask me why I'm asking you these questions. It's because a relationship with Jesus Christ, these things are byproducts. You don't have to think about them, it just happens. In a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will love Him and devote your life to Him because that's the kind of relationship you have. Much like Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Loving Him that way. She didn't have to think about, is this a good idea or am I too busy? Or are other things distracting me? She just did it. Here's one for you. And I don't like my answer most weeks, but this week I have a different answer. This week, have you led anybody to Jesus Christ? Friday night we saw salvations happen at Celebrate Recovery and it overjoyed my heart. I, I will tell you this also. And I was moved to tears. A testimony was shared by a man I know and have known for over three years. He was a person who you wouldn't think when you first met him three years ago would ever get this. He looked like a person who was stuck in mental illness, fear, and negative self-talk. But God changed him. He lost a lot of weight when he began to get close to God because he started to love himself and started to take care of his physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental relationship with himself and with God and with others. The man who gave his testimony is not the man I met three and a half years ago. As a matter of fact, I had to introduce him and I said, I want to tell you about a person I met three and a half years ago. And I began to talk about all of his struggles. And I said, that man is not sharing his testimony. That man is God. What God has done is the man standing on that stage. If you took a before and after picture, you would have been stunned. I am still stunned what God did. It's a situation where if I had a client like that, I would say it was hopeless. But i got to tell you something. This is what moved me to tears. When he was done, his daughter says, I want to be just like my daddy. I want to be just like him. Three years ago, she would have said, I don't even want to be around him. <laughs> now she says, I want to be just like him. Do you want to be the kind of person that other people want to be like? Is your faith the kind of faith that people want to have? Is your walk with Christ the kind that people say, show me how you do that? Do you have hope in hopeless situations? Do you have courage in fearful situations? Do you have trust in situations where it seems doubt is the only thing that happens? How is your walk with Jesus today? Do you want world peace? Maybe let's make it a little easier. 
You ever seen all those pageants and they give them the question, what do you want? And they all say, I want world peace. <laughs> I actually want world peace. Not going to happen, but I want it. Don't we all? Now, some people want war, obviously. Some people find a profit in it, and some people find gain in it. But what do you want when you say world peace? It's a simple answer to a complex question because we believe if the world's at peace, we can live our lives without fear. But that's not true. We still live fearful lives even in peace. And this week here in town, our world got shook up a little bit. A lot of people saying could have been. Might have been. A lot of people saying it could have been and really wasn't, but it certainly would have been if someone would have been a better aim. Thank God that He intervened. But that kind of life, that kind of situation means this world isn't all godly. There are people who do not care if God exists or not. There are people who could care less about the name of Jesus Christ. And yet the same people who feel that way are living in a broken world and wondering what's wrong with it. Let me ask you this. When is the last time that you wept over an injustice? What happened recently here in town on 307 was an injustice. Some of us pretty shook up about that. But I ask you generally, when you see people hurting, do you turn a blind eye to the pain that you see? All the things that have come on TV and hurts and pains of people in other societies and other countries, even in our own country, do you just go, man, I'm, I, man, that's horrible, and turn the channel? Or go, man, I'm glad that didn't happen here. What do you do with that? How does it affect you? Does it break your heart? Do you get on your knees before God and go, God, why? What can you do? What can I do? God, do something. Or just kind of, well, that's the world we're in. That's how it's going to be. The enemy, Satan, has got us tricked into complacency. And, and I hate that. I really, really hate that. Because we think we can't do anything about it. But I want to share something with you. On Friday... The man who led worship asked if he could do an altar call and celebrate recovery. And I said, absolutely. And he said, have the leaders come up. Anybody that comes up, pray with whoever comes up. So I, I prayed with several people. And one of those persons was a hardened person. And I asked, what can I pray for you for? And he said, I don't know Jesus. Will you help me know Jesus? What would you say to someone like that? Uh, let me call someone who can help you with that. <laughs> hey, over here. This one needs prayer. I don't know how to pray for that. I don't know how to lead someone to Jesus. Do you know how? Do you know how to bring them into the relationship with Christ that they so hunger for? Are you in that relationship loving Jesus enough to say, I want this for Him enough, I'll fumble through it? It's a question we all have to answer because if we don't know the answer to it, what will happen is you'll say, uh, where's the pastor? Let him do it. And you know what I said with him? I said, I'll help you. And I'll walk you through it. 
That's what I said. And, and, I, and I was stunned that he asked for that because I didn't expect it. Now how tragic is it that i got a room full of broken people and I'm surprised that someone needs Jesus? How surprised are you when you see someone out there running around and you realize they don't like God, they don't care about Jesus, but they finally realize they do. And sometimes it's you that has to let them know. Again, how is your walk with Jesus today? I want to tell you some God's still in business. <laughs> He's still working. He's not done yet. No matter what the atheists say, no matter what the agnostics tell us, or the, um, or the Gnostics tell us, or the Enlightenment people, or the New Agers, or the Islamics say, no matter what the Hindus say, or the Shintos, or the realists, or the folks that don't care about anything religious and don't want to hear about it, no matter what they say, Jesus Christ is still in business. And He will be in business for an eternity. He was, is, and always will be Lord of all. Whether they realize it or not. Whether they acknowledge or not. Is it not peculiar to you that you can talk about any other religious figure in school but Jesus? You can talk about Muhammad. You can talk about Buddha and they won't shut you up. But you talk about Jesus and they will. Why is He singled out? You know why? Not because He's a threat. It's because He's an answer that they can't understand. They don't know what to do with Him. They don't know how to respond to the name of Jesus Christ. They think people are fanatical. But I will tell you this, He's still the best and only answer for the world's issues. If the golden rule were followed, there would be no more struggle. The golden rule, for some go, what is that? It's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This was taken, believe it or not, from somebody else who said it backwards. It says don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But Jesus says be active. Do to them what you want them to do to you. Do it! Don't say, don't hurt them, but rather, actively love them. God is trying to get you and I to do something. Everything Jesus says, build your house on solid ground, on a, on a rock, not sand. Do things. Why? Because the relationship with Jesus Christ is not stagnant. If you ask God to use you and you seriously, sincerely seek Him, He's going to put you to work helping people get closer to Him. Jesus doesn't seem to be as popular a situation today as He used to be. Not even in the church we're sitting in. A lot of people here today say, well, I know Jesus cares, but i got to do something about it. Why do I say that? Because as your pastor, I should be a whole lot busier doing some stuff for God. This place should be lit up like Christmas every day of the week with work for God. But it's not. There should be hundreds and hundreds of people coming through our doors every week saying, God is found here. We're not as busy as we could be for Jesus. 
Maybe that starts with me. But I believe it starts with all of us. This week on Wednesday, I was watching something on TV. I'm sorry, not on TV, on Facebook. Seems to have replaced that for me. And it was the 20th anniversary of the Brownsville Revival. Do you all remember that? Or ever hear of it? In Pensacola, Florida, a a church, an Assembly of God, Brownsville Assembly, began having services. And it began to be an overflow. The revival started and went for years. Lives changed, transformed. Uh, Lindell Cooley came out of that revival. Uh, people would go to the revival and come back to their churches uh, elsewhere in the country and in the world and revival would start there because they had experienced God and God was upon them in a way they couldn't deny. That revival changed thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. Every service was packed full for months and months and months. Years even. That revival, I watched the anniversary of it, I'm looking at God, let's do that again. What can we do? What can I do? And he said, make a choice. I said, okay, what choice do I make? <laughs> he didn't answer. And when he said make a choice, I'm, I'm thinking, i got to know the choices. i got to choose to make a choice. So all day Wednesday, I'm praying, God, what choice? What are you talking about? What can I do? No answer. Thursday, praying all day. God, what kind of choice do you want? All day Friday. God, I need to know. I'm nonstop praying all day. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. On Friday, I saw the Spirit descend and celebrate recovery. Lives get transformed. And people saying, I don't know what happened here, but God showed up. I was praying for something there. I was praying for something here today. I was praying for something in my home, in my family, for people all over the world. Just nonstop. What choice, God? On Tuesday and on Monday, I felt dry as a desert. But ever since then, asking God, I've been seeking Him this question, all of a sudden I feel closer to God. I feel like I'm back where I needed to be. To be back up here with the confidence to know I'm back in that stronger relationship. And saying, God, whatever it is, let's make a choice. Choose. Whatever that choice is. So every choice I've made since then, I've been saying, God, maybe this is the choice. (laughs) Maybe this is the moment you want me to make that choice. So everything I'm doing, I'm being intentional. Asking God, is this it? Well, wouldn't you know that that would be absolutely a normal relationship with any believer with Jesus Christ. I just got back to normal. Asking Him for every choice, everything. What do you want me to do here? What do you want me to do there? You, you, my daughter said, what, what are you doing to the, put stuff up on the bedroom walls? Are you doing it for Mom? I said, no, I just decided to do it. I felt like I had to make a choice. And, and it was just felt like God was wanting me to do things. And so I was. Now that hunger, drawing near to God, is daily. Again. In James, where we read, it says in verse 8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. If you're hungry for God, 
and you start seeking God, He's going to start coming close to you. But i got to tell you something else. In this passage, I love this. It says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Resist the devil, and He will flee from you. Uh, I figured out what that means. That means the devil doesn't want to face opposition. <laughs> if he's going to find some opposition, he'll find someone a little more willing. Remember, he tried real hard to get Jesus in the wilderness. He worked on him three times, and Jesus three times resisted, and Satan left to wait for another opportunity, says the Scripture. When Jesus was not so resistant. <laughs> if you got struggles in your life and your mind's a mess, resist the devil. He will flee. Scripture tells us this. But at the same time, you have to draw near to God. You say, I don't know if my prayers are working. Keep getting closer to God. Say, God, why aren't my prayers being answered? God, ask Him. Ask Him all day till you get an answer. Ask Him the next day and the next day until you get an answer. All of a sudden, you'll feel close to God in your prayers are starting to get answered. And you won't know how, you just know that it happened. God delights in people that seek Him. And He wants us to do that. Do you want peace in this world? Do you want fighting to end? Then make a choice. James says in this fourth chapter at the beginning, do you want wars to end? Let me tell you, says James, we are selfish. And that's why wars happen. You read it there with me, didn't you? Do wars and fights not come from your desire for pleasure that war within yourself? You lust and have, you covet, you murder, fight more, but you don't have because you don't ask. And then when you do ask, you ask to spend it on yourself. Selfishness, says James. Tell me he's wrong. All this ISIS, Jihad, Taliban, they all want something for themselves. It's not for their God. Their God, if it were true, would be a God of love. If they were following their holy scriptures, it says they do good and not harm. They do not follow their holy scriptures. That's why they're called radical. <laughs> Let's call them what they are. Criminal. Their God has not transformed their lives because their God does not have Jesus Christ as the ruler and authority. I see everywhere there is turmoil, selfishness. The answer to this question though of how to fix it is found in this fourth chapter. Repent. Repent. Return to God. Beg for mercy. I'm telling you, the spiritual giants do it every day. God, if there's somebody I missed yesterday, forgive me. If I could have led a soul and I was overlooked by, by my own selfish desires or own agenda, forgive me, God. Don't let me miss it today. Are you hungry for a soul to be saved in your presence? That Jesus Christ's life would be into them right as you pray over them, with them, and for them. Here's the thing. You can't ask for repentance if you don't believe you need it. 
If you don't think you actually need it, it won't work. If you don't believe Jesus is the only answer for you, this won't work for you because you have a plan B. Jesus is the only plan, way, truth, and life you need. Amen? Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you stuff that should make you a little uncomfortable and make you think about what am I doing? What am I doing? What are you up to? What are you going to do? I put that on my lock screen on my phone, a little thing that reminded me about this. It says, what you going to do? Every time I pick up my phone to open it, it says, what you going to do? And I have to answer that question. What am I going to do right now for God? What am I doing for God right now? Or am I about to do something that has nothing to do with the kingdom? We need reminders. We need friends and people in the faith to encourage us to do good things. James tells us that we are sinful people. And if we've ever sinned, we are sinners. Yep, we're all a room full of sinners saved by grace. But that doesn't mean you don't need Jesus. It means you need more to help you to walk out that life of grace. Did you forget you needed Jesus? Every moment, every day, Every hour. Remember that old hymn? I need Thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, I need Thee. Oh, how I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, as I come and draw near to Thee. Wouldn't that be an awesome prayer? i got to tell you, though, maybe you don't know this, God cares about you. 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about how much He cares about you. But He also says something very similar to what James says. He says, Likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him because He cares about you. God cares. And I don't mean cares like I'm concerned. I'm talking about when you're in a hospital and they care for you. They're very attentive. They're caring for you. God cares for you like that. He's loving you like that. And He wants you to know that He wants to exalt you. But listen to this. <laughs> I love this. And maybe you all will, will catch on to this real quick. Um, when a child comes to their parents and does something, artwork, something like that, or they've done something, they say, look at me, look at me. What does that child want that parent to do? To acknowledge them, right? But what if the child's heart in doing that artwork was something that would please the parent because it reminded them of the parent? And so they're drawing near by doing the artwork and then presenting it, and that parent's going to go, wow, you thought of me. And then they're going to go like this, I'm putting it on my refrigerator. <laughs> 
Matter of fact, I'll probably take a picture of it and put it in my phone and on my computer as a screensaver. Why? Because I want the world to know this is my child. I want to exalt my child because my child loves me. My child cares about me and I want the world to know I love my child enough to honor them. This is what it's saying there, that He cares for you like that. And that if you will humble yourselves before Him, He's going to put your refrigerator picture up there all over creation and say, this is my child. I love this one. And this one loves me. You draw near to God humbly, He will lift you up. That's what that means. Tell Him, I need you. I need your grace, your mercy. And God will provide. God knows what we need. He cares about us. And that's bottom line. Bottom line, God loves you. And He will do something about your situation. He did something about it when sin was the issue. If sin was the problem and He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for us and be resurrected so we could have life with Him, do you not think He's going to give you some attention when you have another problem that might need something done? That only He can do and you acknowledge it. How do we enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? We say, I can't do it, God. I need You to save me from myself, from my sin and my sin nature. God, you got to do it because I cannot. That's why He does it. Why would it not work the same if we have another struggle? God, I'm having a problem here. Help me. Or God, I have a friend that doesn't know You. Going a long way hopeless, broken, depressed. God, can You use me to bless them? And God's going, oh no, no, I don't care about that. No, that's not what God's going to do. He's going to say, let me encourage you and bless you and encourage the fact that you know me by you drawing near to me. And when you go to them, you just tell them about me. Tell them what I've done for you. And they will hunger and thirst. That will stir them up. God's care creates a hunger for Him. In Micah chapter... Six. As I wrap this up, the following verses are found. And maybe you uh, have heard it before. And it starts off with, He's shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now let me break that down for you. It's real simple. It doesn't say what does the Lord require of you as in a commandment. It's how do I follow God? This is the answer to how do I worship God? It's what the people are asking. How do we come back to God? How do we follow and worship the right way? Because this chapter is talking about a nation that has gone after other gods that won't deliver them. And so it says what... what does God ask of you to worship Him, to be faithful? And it says to do justly. And that doesn't mean to uh, jury people. Do you know what I mean by that? If you see somebody go, oh, you know, you need to stay away from that. That person's unacceptable. This person's sinful. This person's no good. You need to just be away from them. 
There are a lot of people, even in our church, say, I'm not going around certain people anymore. Because I, I, you know, I, I, they just hurt me or they're not godly. Whatever reason. But to do justly doesn't mean that. That's called judgment. What to do justly means is to be um, in a place where you understand that you are offering favor. And you offer favor to people. Not trying to create this person's good or bad, but rather to say, this person and I need each other by grace. And when it says to love mercy, this word love is not just like kinda. It means all the way. That mercy is what God offers us by Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you don't love that all the way, you're not quite getting it. Because this is the only hope you've got. <laughs> it's the only hope we got. It's Jesus. It's the only hope that can redeem us and save this broken, lost world. And it says to love that. And that mercy is exactly what it says. The love of God shown forth. So, to love the fact that God is merciful to you. To say, God, thank You so much for being merciful to me. Thank You. I, I need it. I love that. And it says walk humbly. It simply means that you let God do His work and you do the work He's asked you to do. Not tell Him the work you want Him to do. Let Him be God. And God wants that. And all those things, He's asking us to be humble. <sighs> yeah, I know it's a tough request. I know it's not easy. I didn't say that it was easy. I said it's only easy when you draw near to God. It becomes easier the more you do it. And James says, how will you know when you're doing this? When you're drawing near to God? Because you, He's going to show you something. And, and I hope you get this. When you look in the mirror and you draw near to God and say, God, show me, show me who I am. He's not going to show a reflection of you in the mirror. He's going to show you Jesus Christ. Because you are His righteousness in Christ. And you can look and say, oh, but you don't understand, God, I've got this, this issue in my life, this sin or this struggle or this problem. I'm not like Jesus. God's going to say, yes, you are. You know I'm not. And when you look in God's love and grace, you're going to see how far you are away from being like Jesus in reality. And it's going to humble you. You're going to say, God, I'm not like Him. Quit comparing me. Let me be a better me. That's what we say. Let me be the best I can be. And He's saying, no, you, you need to be like Jesus. And I can't. I can't, God. I can't do that. Well, it's true. You can't. But God can through you by empowering you with His Holy Spirit to live out the life of Christ through you. It's what the Apostle Paul said. The Holy Spirit enables me to live out the life of faith. I can't do it. And to try is futile. I have to draw near to God. Let Him come near to me. And I'll resist the devil when he comes to try to tell me that this is impossible. And I'll fall on my face or get on my knees before God and beg Him to love me and be merciful with me so I can walk that out. Every day. This doesn't seem like a hard request. 
it just takes a little humility. And all it takes is let God level you back down to the broken person we really are. And you really are. Just a sinner in need of grace every day. And one day, when He clothes you in fullness with His righteousness, Scripture says you'll be seen and known as you are known. Right now, you don't know who you are. Because you think you are what this world sees and what you think you are and what this black box says you are. Your mind, your mental, your emotions, your history. But God says you don't know who you are. Stop trying to tell God who you are. Let Him tell you who you are. You are a child of the one true King. You are God's child. You are an heir of the promise. Some of us don't know how to live that out yet. And we need to do that. Again, I ask you, how's your walk with Jesus today? Have you led someone to Christ? Have you hungered for that in others? Do you need it yourself? Have you been in service and in devotion to Jesus this week? When's the last time you got down on your knees and fell before God and repented, asking for mercy and for forgiveness? How often do you think you should? That's where I started this message. And I end it like this. That today we are going to commune together. You know, I've done a lot of sermons and I've seen a lot of altar calls in my life, but this is the easiest one. I don't have to say if you feel led to come down to the altar and pray. <laughs> you're going to stand up and you're going to come and get communion. And whatever you do after that, whether it's at the altar or standing there or back in your seat, all I can say is repent. Ask for mercy and grace. Ask God to help you live out the life of Christ every day and the hunger and thirst for what He wants in this world. That you don't turn a blind eye to the injustice or the broken. That you are a part of the people who are living in God's peace. And you're not going to stop until this world sees the true light. And until it does, we have no time to mess around with other stuff. Scripture tells us in the last days it will be very perilous. I think we're not there yet. This is only kind of. And it's going to get worse. But maybe we can make a difference in this generation. And maybe our lives can be a testimony to our children and the others around us that say, I want to be like that person. I want to shine like that light that they have for Jesus Christ. I want that courage. I want that kind of faith. Maybe that's what you want. But God has to level you down to bring you up. Because you can't put yourself there. You know what I mean? And that's why Jesus' invitation to communion matters.